Our scripture this evening will be from John chapter 18. John chapter 18, that's on page 1082 in the Bible. For John 18, we'll read the first 12 verses, and then we'll read from verse 28 to the end. John chapter 18 and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden, in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And we'll skip the, the verses and jump down to verse 28. Verse 28. You see the subheading there is Jesus before Pilate. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium, so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium, and summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and said to them, I find no guilt in him. 
would I release someone for you at the Passover? Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? By which he means Jesus. So they cried out again saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now we'll stop there. The text for this evening is in Matthew chapter 27 actually. I wanted to read the exchange of, of Jesus with Pilate there. But the text and the, the picture really that I want to fix in your mind this evening is the picture given us in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 24, where we read, When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And like I said, that's really the picture I'd like to see this evening, congregation, is that picture of Pilate washing his hands. That's the picture I'd like to focus with you on, focus on with you for this evening. Well, congregation, we've read this account of Jesus before Pilate. Certainly it's striking to us because we know the story and we know the we know the we know the real person of Jesus Christ and we're we're, we're struck, aren't we, at the, the sight of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe standing before an earthly judge. And yet of all the figures in the story, of all the different people who play a role in the story that we read about Jesus' crucifixion, isn't it true that we feel the most sympathy for Pilate. I know we feel the most sympathy for Jesus, but of all the other figures, of all the other people, it seems like Pilate is the one that we, we tend most to sympathize with. He seems to be in such a difficult place uh, in, this, in, this, in this chapter and in this account. And, and in one sense, it really seems like he did his best for Jesus to, to have him released. Now, of course, uh, the truth of the matter is that Pilate was, uh, was a, uh, a typical Roman, right? He loved his power, and he had no qualms about uh, executing Jesus, especially that was for his own convenience and advanced his own cause. And yet, the way the Gospels present Pilate, we do see him uh, in the sense of, of, with this sense of Roman justice, as it were, and that being violated. Well, the first point I'd like to consider with you is, first of all, how Pilate hates the Jews. Again, I want to give you this, an understanding of who Pilate is. Uh, on the way to church this evening, I was right with my brother here, and I said that, of course, we want to see Jesus this time, right? That's why we're here on Good Friday, to see the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see Jesus through Pilate, through the person of Pilate. And I hope to, I hope to do that this evening. So in the first place, Pilate hates the Jews. Pilate hates the Jews. Now there were two incidents in Pilate's life that led Pilate especially to hate the Jews. And you can imagine that Pilate was probably delighted when he received the assignment of being the governor of Judea. That was a high honor for him. And yet you wonder how quickly Pilate must have come to, to regret that he ever was given this troublesome spot with these ridiculous people. These impossible people to deal with. Well, these two incidents that happened in Pilate's life, now Pilate's residence would have been 
Mediterranean Sea, but he would come down to Jerusalem to conduct business. And at one point in Pilate's life, Pilate had these flags made, these standards for the Roman army. And uh, you can read about this in the history books. Pilate had these flags made, and of course these flags had the image of the emperor on them, Emperor Tiberius. And Pilate had these flags uh, brought into Jerusalem, and, and they, were, uh, they were used by the Roman army as uh, a standard for their army. Now the Jews, when they saw the image of Tiberius on there, they immediately attacked because the Jews do not have any uh, respect uh, or, or even desire for any kind of image or picture of man. To them, that is idolatry. And that violates the first and the second commandments. And so the Jews were outraged at this, that Pilate would have the gall to bring these flags, this image on them. So they went to Caesarea, where Pilate lived, and they, they asked Pilate to get these flags out of here, take these standards out of Jerusalem. We don't want them in our city. Well, Pilate ignored them. For six days, they sat there. Finally, on the sixth day, Pilate told his soldiers to go out amongst them, and he said, at a given signal, I want you to cut them all out, kill them. And this shows you Pilate's character right, right there. He had no qualms about uh, destroying all these people in cold blood. Well, when the Jewish people that were waiting in the square there before Pilate's uh, palace heard what was uh, planned, they basically told the soldiers, fine, kill us. And, and the, the historians tell us they bared their necks. They lifted their heads and showed them their necks and said, cut our heads off. We would rather die than not uh, than violate our law and live with those flags, with those images in Jerusalem. Pilate, of course, was, was astounded at this this uh, uh, fanaticism from these people against these flags, and he did not kill them, and he, uh, he ordered the flags removed from Jerusalem. So you can imagine that that must have galled a man like Pilate, right, who loved his power, to have to cave, to have to give in to these Jewish people. The second incident was Pilate had shields made. Now this time Pilate wisely kept off all images from these shields, and just had the, the name just the name of the emperor. No image. Just the name of the emperor. Once again, the Jews revolted. They were, they were very upset about this. And this time, however, they knew. The Jews were very savvy politically. And they knew that Emperor Tiberius at this time was anxious to win the favor of the Jews. He did not want them upset. And so the Jewish people, in their, in their craftiness, they wrote a letter to Tiberius. And said, so this Pilate is, is, is angering us. He's offending us. He's uh, going against our religion with these shields. And can you believe it? Dear friends, Tiberius was enraged and wrote back to Pilate, what are you doing? Get rid of those shields. Now understand what's happening here. Is here, here was Pilate trying to win favor with the emperor by putting these shields in the, in the palace, in Herod's palace at Jerusalem. And instead, he is, it backfires on him. Now, the only reason I tell you this story is to make clear to you how much Pilate hated the Jews. Pilate despised the Jewish people. And in our, in our, in our scripture that we read in John 18, you can see, kind of a, if you can kind of sense some of the feelings that are behind these, this remark, look at what happens in verse 30. So, uh, the Jewish people bring Jesus to Pilate, and, Jesus, and uh, Pilate says in verse 29, what accusation do you bring against this man? And listen to the Jews' response. Listen to this. 
answered and said to him, If this man were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him to you. It's almost as if the Jews are saying, we don't owe you an answer. It's enough that we brought him to you. No, condemn him to death, and we'll take care of our business and be done with it. What impudence, what arrogance on the part of these Jewish people. And you, again, it's almost hard not to sympathize with Pilate when he has to deal with people who are so arrogant. They really wanted Pilate basically just to rubber stamp their condemnation of Jesus and to move on. And you can see that Pilate even responds rather in kind, right? Verse 31, he says, well, take them yourselves and judge them according to your law. Knowing full well that they weren't allowed to do that. Right? They had to have the permission of the Roman government before they could put anyone to death. So again, they're going back and forth here, aren't they? Pilate hates the Jews. In the second place, Pilate between a rock and a hard place. Pilate in this dilemma, he squeezed between these two facts, these two realities. And I've already mentioned this in some respect, but back in Rome, the administration in Rome wanted the Jews pacified. Don't stir up trouble with the Jews. Tiberius is, is pushing them. So on one side you have that. On the other side, you have Pilate. Pilate, who still has this, this situation where Jesus is being falsely accused, and even Pilate can sense it. Even Pilate, who has who has no qualms about sending Jesus off to be crucified, but even Pilate says, it's almost as if, if I can paraphrase Pilate's words, you know, we're not a bunch of savages here. You know, we are Romans. We don't just condemn people to death for no reason. The man has to sit for a trial. You can't just bring him here and say, well, he's guilty of death, and I'm going to sign it, you're going to go off and, and, and kill him. Again, Pilate caught between his own sense of justice and his desire, his earnest desire to pacify the Jews. He does not want another report going back to Tiberius that Pilate has angered and offended the Jews again. So this is the situation with Pilate between a rock and a hard place. You see how he tries to wiggle out of it. First he tries to offer them Barabbas. Why don't you people take Barabbas? Uh, I'll, I'll uh, release Jesus to you and you can take Barabbas and put him to death. Uh, no, that, that, does not, that, that doesn't work either. The Jews see their way around that one. Then Pilate, and here again you see something of Pilate's character. He says, well, I'll flog him, right? I'll scourge him. And then we'll turn loose. We'll, we'll release him. I'll, I'll leave him a mild punishment, although it's anything more mild to be flogged. And, uh, and then we'll release him. That doesn't work either. The Jews want deep Jesus killed, and nothing short of that. Well, then, Pilate's sense of Roman justice. And here I turn to the Gospel of Luke, because it seems that more even than the rest of the Gospels, Luke brings out how, how strong this sense of justice was. In Pilate, how he knew that Jesus was not what the Jews had set him out to be. And in Luke 23, you see this repeatedly. In first in Luke 23 and verse 4, then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. Same chapter, drop down to verse 14, and you see, and he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. So the second time, Pilate insists, I, I find nothing guilty in this man. And then in the third place, 
same chapter, verse 22, and he said to them the third time, Why? And then this is in the face of these, the, the Jewish mob, by yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate responds, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found him no guilt demanding death. Therefore I will punish him and release him. But again, you see how, how even foolish that sounds, right? That Pilate would say, I find no guilt in this man, so I'll punish him and release him. Why would you punish him if there's no guilt in this man, right? You see, you see Pilate is such a conflicted, such a twisted up man here. He doesn't know which way to turn. He's caught between a, a rock and a hard place. His sense of Roman justice is deeply offended. And that brings us then in the fourth place, the Pilate, a man with guilt. Pilate is a man with guilt on his conscience because finally we read that Pilate turns Jesus over to them. He finally caves, doesn't he? And, uh, and he gives over Jesus to the Jewish people and gives them license then to crucify him. And by that act, congregation, he, he, he brings guilt on his conscience, doesn't he? His conscience screams foul. This is not right. There, there's a sense of indignation even within Pilate. You might say that day Pilate took a burden on his back, didn't he? And what a dreadful burden to have to carry. That burden was made all the heavier. By Matthew 27, we read that Pilate's wife came to him and said, Pilate had nothing to do with this man. Right? And she told Pilate about her dream where she had dreamt that this man had done nothing wrong. Now, especially in those days when uh, Roman people would have seen that as a kind of omen from the gods. Right? Pilate would have, would have sensed that even stronger, right? His sense of Roman justice was, you might say, aggravated not even more. Because now Pilate's wife brings this dream, which you might say makes that burden even heavier for it. And then you have Jesus himself. Did you notice that what Jesus himself says in John 18, in the, in the passage that we read together? In John 18 and verse 34. When Pilate comes back into the praetorium, to the judgment hall there, he asks Jesus very directly, are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus gives this response. He says, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Again, you can, you can kind of understand what Jesus is saying there. He says, Pilate, are you taking their word for it? Or are you going to stand here on your own two feet? And make a judgment. And make a judgment that he knows in, in, in line with justice. Or are you just going to take their word for it? Now again, back in Pilate's mind, right? Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. He's, he's examined Jesus. Pilate has not heard reports of Jesus trying to stir up trouble. Jesus has, there's no reports or, or nothing that Pilate's been told that Jesus is an insurrectionist, right? That he's, He's trying to gather soldiers around himself to start a rebellion. And now Jesus, you might say, makes that burden a little heavier. Jesus, as it were, pushes that knife in a little deeper. Makes his conscience sound even stronger. Pilate, what are you doing? You're, you're the judge here. You need to do what is going to be what is going to be right. You need to make a decision in accord with justice and let the consequences fall where they may. 
Or are you going to make a decision according to the standards of justice? Again, the burden gets all the heavier on Pilate. And so here he is. He carries this guilt. His conscience troubles him. What can he do? Well, congregation, we read it in Matthew, right? And he gets that bowl. And he sets that bowl on the ledge there in plain sight of all the Jewish people. And he takes his hands, those hands that are stained with the, with the blood of an innocent man, and he washes. He scrubs his hands. Why? Because there's guilt on his conscience. And that's a heavy, heavy burden to carry. And Pilate doesn't want to carry it. You might say there's that now. Much louder than what I'm doing now, congregation. There's that now. And his conscience. Smiting. Smiting. Injustice. And for a woman governor, that was a hard knock to hear. And the burden is so heavy on him that he does something, something to relieve the pressure of that guilt on his conscience. He brings out the bowl, and he even, you can even see it in what he says there. Right in Matthew 27, you can see what the burden that he's carrying is. Matthew 27, verse 24, right, he says, He says he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. And what does he say? He said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See that to yourselves. In other words, you bear all the blame. But no pilot. You signed the death warrant. You gave them the license. So his conscience speaks. And again and again. And no matter how many times Pilate can say it, I am innocent of this man's blood. But he's not innocent of this man's blood. And he knows it. And his own heart keeps crashing against him. Pilate is a, is a, is a, is a terrible character here, congregation. Reduced to this. And in one of the Gospels, it even says that Pilate feared greatly. Do you remember that? that uh, you remember the, the man in Pilgrim's Progress, right? When he was in the city of destruction. Children, you undoubtedly remember the story as well. And you remember what he was carrying on his back. That burden. That burden. Pilate has a similar burden. Now, that's crushing him and weighing him down. Well, congregation, that's the, the text. That's the picture I've given you now of Pilate washing his hands. That speaks to us on Good Friday, doesn't it? My first point of application is this. Guilt is such a heavy burden to carry. It brings us into misery. It brings us into terrible straits. In congregation, there are so many people in our world who live with this constant burden of guilt on their back. They wake up in the morning they go to bed at night. They go to work. And they're always bearing about this burden with them. And that's what we see in our text this evening. We see a man with this burden. Now what can he, what can he do with that guilt? You see Pilate in a vain attempt. We want to shout at Pilate. Pilate, you can't do that. 
Washing your hands is not going to relieve your conscience of that guilt. Washing your hands, insisting that I am innocent of this man's blood is not going to remove that burden from your back. It doesn't work. And in our own day too, in our own day too, congregation, we have all these strategies for coping with guilt, for coping with that burden. People will say, just deny it. You didn't actually sin. It's not your fault. So much so much counseling that takes place today, the first thing you hear, it's not your fault. And they try to deny it. They try to explain sinful behavior. Well, yes, you did that, but it's not nearly as bad as you think. Everybody does it. It's okay. Don't, you're, spending, you're, you're losing way too much sleep over this. And they try to deny it. Others try to dismiss it, to run from it, to hide from it. I, in the sense, I kind of think of Jonah. I know Jonah really was running from the command of God, but Jonah too had guilt on his conscience. He knew what God had commanded him to do. And he tried to flee. He tried to outrun it. Isn't that almost silly in our mind that we would think that you could outrun your guilty conscience? That somehow by going to a city far off, you could get out from under the burden that crushed you. But so people do. They, they try to dismiss it. They run from it. They hide from it. They suppress it. Other people bury it. Other people bury their guilt under a, under a load of, of new sin or new pleasures. Some people run into addictions because of this. They can't live with their guilt. And they, they, they overwhelm it and crush it under a load of drugs or alcohol or, or some kind of anything that will give them a few moments even of relief from the pain and the guilt that they carry. Other people have a more Christian approach to it. They decide that they're going to balance it out. They're going to do good. And they work. And they work. They roll up their sleeves. They serve. They, they help people. They do mission work. They do evangelistic work. They're busy in their church. And all the while, you might say, they're trying to balance it out. Yes, they have this guilt that weighs them down. But they think maybe if I work, maybe if I do good, maybe if I, if I give
that we can take our sin and we can lay it at the cross. There's no point in hiding in congregation. God already knows it. No point in hiding. There's no point in denying in congregation you sin enough that you justly deserve to be cast into hell forever. Don't deny it. Don't dismiss it. You can't run from it. But tonight, congregation, I can set you before the cross of Jesus Christ and the bleeding Savior of And I can say, look to you. Good Friday points you in that direction. And like we read it, like we confessed in the Belgian Confession, you don't need to invent any other way to get out from under that burden. But just to fall off the cross of Christ. You know, Peter said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But Jesus didn't let him depart. We know that because of what Peter himself writes in his letter. Peter wrote in his letter after he had learned this lesson by the Spirit of God. He says, Knowing that you and me were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. May I say a congregation were not redeemed by putting in bowl of water and washing our hands. Not redeemed by washing our physical hands. Not redeemed with perishable things like silver, gold, or water. But with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. Their congregation is what will break the bands of that burden and send it tumbling away from you. That cross has the power to set you free from guilt. Yes, you are guilty. Yes, your guilt is, is much worse than you ever could imagine. But where sin and guilt has abounded, grace has superabounded. And you can be forgiven. And you are forgiven if you're believing in Christ tonight. Now, I want to close the sermon. Because some people say they're better than I ever can. One of those is John Bunyan. And I go back to Christian and the Pilgrim's Progress. Because as he made his way along, Bunyan tells us, Now I saw in my dream that the highway on which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall. And that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, they burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus and he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom, a sepulchre. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart he had given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood a while to look and wonder for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked, therefore, and looked again, even until the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him. With peace be to thee. So the first said to him, Thy sins be forgiven thee. The second stripped him of his rags and clothed him with a change of raiment. 
The third also set a mark on his forehead and gave him a roll with a seal upon it, which he bid him look on as he ran, and that he should give it in at the celestial gate. So they went their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing. Here's the song he sung. Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could walk ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden fall from off my back? Must here the strings that bound it to me crack? Bless cross, bless sepulchre, bless rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Oh, if only Pontius Pilate would have thrown out his water and his bowl and fallen on his knees before the Christ and said, Lord, forgive my sins. Cleanse me. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, from the guilt of the murder. He would have found forgiveness. Just as everyone finds forgiveness who falls before the cross of Christ. May God bless these words to his congregation for his name's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this evening, awestruck at the beauty and the glory of the cross of Christ. Outwardly, it was a symbol of horrific injustice, terrible barbarity, awful pain and suffering. And yet, for us, Lord, like Christian of old, we want to give three leaps for joy. We want to sing the hymn that he sung. We want to say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there is one here who still bears that burden of guilt with him, Lord, I pray that the strings would crack this evening as they lay their sins before the cross of Jesus. And Lord, for all of us who have lived long in the joy of his forgiveness, Lord, grant that we would see again the terrible weight of that burden that we would feel again the joy of having it lifted off us as we, as we hear the assurance of your pardoning grace. You said to the woman in the Gospels, your sins which are many are forgiven. And Lord, we've heard that also this evening. Bless it to us. Give us a good time, a fellowship this evening, and may we rejoice in the cross of Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.